It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? High-speed cameras are fascinating. They can freeze a hummingbird's wings in mid-flight or capture a bullet moving through the air. Well now, research scientists at INRS, a branch of the University of Quebec in Canada, have created the world's fastest camera. It's called Teacup. The camera can capture a mind-boggling 10 trillion frames per second. That's right, not million, not billion, 10 trillion frames per second. This doubles a previous record of 5 trillion frames per second set by Lind University's frame camera in 2017. And they beat out MIT's 1 trillion frame per second camera of 2011. Of course, light travels 186,000 miles per second. That means now, with 10 trillion frames per second, this new teacup camera is so fast, it's able to freeze a picture so precisely, it can capture the movement of light. Friends, you know, the Bible says one of the signs of the last days is a great increase in knowledge. Stay with us. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, friends, Bible Answers Live. If you've got a Bible question, we encourage you to give us a call. Is anybody out there listening right now? Give us a call. We do have a couple of callers lined up, but uh, if you would like to have a Bible question answered, give us a call, 800-463-7297. We're, we're going to see if people are actually tuning in, Pastor Ross. <laughs> 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Call in with your Bible questions, and you can also be listening if you go to the uh, Doug Batchelor Facebook page. That's the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the Amazing Facts Facebook page. You can not only listen, you can watch what is happening here in our simple studio. Absolutely. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that we have this opportunity once again to open up your word and study the scriptures. And we do ask for your blessing. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Be with us here in the studio and also with those who are listening, whether they be in their car or at home, wherever they might be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Doug, you opened the program talking about a very fast camera. It's uh, difficult to imagine something that could capture a frame of a, a picture that could actually cat, catch, capture, I should say, light moving across an object. I mean, that's just bizarre. You know, it makes me think of that prophecy in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, where he's talking about the last days, and he says that knowledge will increase. You know, I don't think there's been any time in history like this time that has seen, um, and by the way, that's Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, but you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will run to and fro, talking about going very quickly from place to place, and knowledge will increase. 
doesn't say wisdom, because man can have a lot of knowledge, build a bomb, and blow up his fellow man. doesn't mean he's got wisdom. It means he's got more technology. Well, boy, the technology of our age right now is mind-boggling. And look how much it's hap- how much it's changed in one generation. But this is one of many prophecies that proves the validity of the Bible and the time in which we're living. Tonight, I think we have a special offer we've never given away, a brand new resource. A magazine that Amazing Facts has just produced, and it's called Kingdoms in Time. And uh, in this magazine, you'll find some of the most compelling prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled that prove the Bible to be indeed an inspired book. And as mentioned by Pastor Doug, this is not something that we've offered before, but we are going to do it tonight. If you'd like to receive our brand new uh, magazine called Kingdoms in Time, the number to call is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the magazine Kingdoms in Time. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. And if you have a Bible question, our phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. Again, that's 800 800- 463-7297. We want to greet our friends who are joining us on Facebook, on Pastor Doug's uh, Facebook page, also on Amazing Facts. First caller that we have is uh, Patrick listening in Toronto. Patrick, welcome to the program. Hi, um, Pastor Doug and uh, John. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for calling. Um, I'm listening today. My question is that uh, around Christmas, we had a discussion in the house for around the holiday dinner. Uh, my stepson brought up a point, which I think he was just trying to be funny, but he said Jesus drank wine. And um, we said, no, he didn't. He drank new wine. And then his aunt jumped in and said that, um, no, Jesus drank fermented wine. So I heard you talk about it before, but I just want to hopefully clarify this with them, that I... Uh, at the wedding feast, when Jesus drank, when Jesus made water into wine, that um, he didn't make six vessels full of fermented wine. And if blood, if the if the if wine also represents Jesus' blood, mm-hmm. great question. There's only one word used in the Bible for grape juice, which is unfermented, or wine. Now, Pastor Ross is going to look up that verse in Isaiah for me, which says, "As the new wine is in the cluster." I think it's Isaiah 66. Jesus did not make alcohol for a wedding. The Bible tells us that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And Christ, even at the Last Supper, he told the disciples, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you new in the Father's kingdom. Christ compares his gospel to new wine. He said, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Old wineskins has the fermentation in the, embedded in the skin. New is the fresh grape juice. Christ always compared his gospel to new fresh wine. They were amazed at the wedding. They said, where'd you get this good wine? You could get fermented wine all year long. You could typically only get fresh wine right after harvest. You have that verse? Yeah, Isaiah chapter 65, verse eight, it says, thus saith the Lord is the new wine he's found in the cluster, and one saith, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So it uses the word wine there, but it's clearly grape juice. Now, the wine of Babylon, you read about that, it makes people drunk, and that's Revelation 17. Look at the examples in the Bible. Noah drank wine, and he stumbled around naked, and it, someone got cursed. Bible tells us that Lot drank wine, and he slept with his daughters. You can read where David tried to get Uriah to go against his conscience by getting him drunk. So whenever alcohol 
was used in the Bible, and a lot of kings made some really bad decisions drinking in the Bible. The priests were not to drink alcohol. And in fact, the sons of Aaron, I get them mixed up, Hophni, Phinehas, and Nadab and Abihu. It's it's Hophni, Phinehas. Mm -hmm. Fire came down. They entered into the sanctuary inebriated. And after they were destroyed in that judgment, God told Aaron their sons were not to be drinking wine, meaning alcoholic wine, before they came into the sanctuary. We do have a free offer that talks about that, Patrick, that we'll be happy to send you about alcohol and the Christian. It's got those verses and many others. The book is simply called The Christian and Alcohol, and we'll be happy to send this to anyone wanting to learn more about what the Bible says with reference to the Christian and alcohol. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, you can just ask for that book. It's called Alcohol and the Christian. If you have a Bible question, the phone line is 800 463 7297 will bring you here into our studio. We've got Sharon listening from Ohio. Sharon, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me on. I had a question tonight about whether the devil can read your mind. Great question. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings, I think it's 2 Kings chapter 9, Pastor Ross, where the prayer of Solomon, maybe it's verse 8, chapter 8, verse 32, where he says, God and God only knows the thoughts of men's hearts. It's in the dedication prayer. And then in Mark chapter 2, it says Jesus knew their thoughts. Several times in the ministry of Christ, he knew the thoughts of people in the room. At the feast at Simon's house, uh, when uh, he healed the man let down through the roof. So God knows what people think. I believe the devil can sometimes make an educated guess of what we're thinking because he'll tempt us and then kind of look at our expression and body language to see, is he getting through? But no one can read our hearts, but God, nobody can read your mind. Some people have thought, well, since, uh, since the devil can't read my mind, if I pray quietly, he doesn't know what I'm saying, but don't be afraid to pray out loud because it scares the devil. Ah, okay, good. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. Next caller that we have is, uh, let's see, Emmanuel listening from Africa. Emmanuel, welcome to the program. Good morning, Papa Doc. Good morning. Morning there. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, Papa Doc. And your question tonight? My question tonight is um, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image. I'm asking uh, which people were God reasoning with? Because God said, let us make man in our own image. On our own image. So I want to know the people whom God was reasoning with. Was it an angel or was it, I mean, other beings? Well, I believe that when God said, let us make man in our image, he's speaking to the other members of the Godhead, which would be, you know, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, and in particular, now, the, as far as the image of God and the Spirit, that's a hard one to describe. But both the Father and the Son are described at having a form and features that are very much like humans. Actually, we're like God, I should say. But, you know, talks about the eyes of God, the hair of God, the feet of God, the hands of God. I think it talks about the nose of God, the ears of God. And then, let me see, what? prophets saw God. Daniel saw God in vision. Revelation, you have a description of God seated upon his throne. Revelation 4. And in chapter 1 too. Yeah, Jesus standing by the seven branch candlestick. And even the Holy Spirit, you know, the Bible says the Spirit knows the heart and uh, can be grieved. Um, well, we, we can also be grieved 
Yeah, we have characteristics. We have characteristics, yeah, can sympathize. And then you go to Genesis 11, also, Emmanuel, and uh, God says the man, well, I think it says the man has become like us in Genesis 3, knowing good and evil. So he's driven from the garden. Genesis 11, um, it said, let us go down and confound their language. So you see God is speaking. I think the word Elohim is a plural word. God is speaking to the other members of, of the Godhead in those stories. And we do have a free offer that talks about the Trinity. You can read online because I know you're in Ghana, Africa right now. Matter of fact, my friend Ted Wilson is over there right now. So if you see him, you send him our regards. Uh, if you'd like to receive that book or read that book, if you're outside of North America, the easiest way is just go to the website and uh, look up at the Amazing Facts website, the book on the Trinity. And uh, we'll be happy to send that to uh, those in North America, or you can read it for free online. Next caller that we have is Matt, listening in Virginia. Matt, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Good. Get real close to your phone. Sounds like you're traveling. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, hold on one second. Sorry about that. Well, we can hear you. Go ahead, state your question. Can you, can you hear me better? Oh, yeah. That's, that's much gooder. Oh, okay, okay. My question was about the devil and um, why is he not destroyed? When will he be destroyed? I know he was not supposed to be destroyed for at least a thousand years after Jesus returns or something, but my question is why isn't he already destroyed and you know, why is he kind of like in like like he's like a buddy with God. He's like in the story of Job, you see they're talking to each other, making deals and does he go back and forth between heaven and earth or something? Or can you explain all that? Yeah, well I'll do my best and uh, you know, I try to just budget about three minutes for each question, but He's not the buddy of God. He is the arch enemy of God. The word Satan actually means adversary. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He is accusing God. There's a big controversy. He's saying that God is not fair. God is not loving. And he said, the only reason Job obeys you is because you protect him. And God said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you enough rope to tempt Job to show you that that is not true. And Job, of course, loved God. He was faithful even after he lost his possessions, his family, his health. But yeah, God could snap his fingers and destroy the devil. But the thing is, the devil has circulated through the universe these reports, these false allegations. And so God must disprove the allegations of Satan before he's destroyed. But you read in Revelation 12, and I forget what verse Pastor Ross, Satan has come down with great wrath because he knows his time is short. The devil knows his days are numbered. So when Christ comes back, even after the devil has a thousand years being bound on this void planet in the darkness, he doesn't change. He still is ready to attack the city of God in Revelation chapter 20. And then he's destroyed and cast in the lake of fire. And uh, Revelation says that and Jesus says that in Matthew 25 too. Yeah, the verse you're referring to in Revelation, Revelation 12 verse 12, it says the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. Now, we do have a study guide. It says, is the devil in charge of hell? And um, no, actually, that's the it wrong Did God one. create the devil? Did God create yeah. the devil is the one that we want to look at. And that talks about the origin of the devil. Uh, how did a beautiful angel end up rebelling? And uh, we'll send that to you or anyone wanting to learn more. Just ask for the study guide called, uh, did, the, did God create the devil? And the number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, we'll send that to anyone in North America. That's such an important subject because people, thinking people, and you know, Matt asked a good question. If God is good, 
if he's loving, if he's all-powerful, why is he letting the devil go on with his rampage around the planet? And folks need to read that lesson. So we hope you'll send for that study guide. You know, we also have a uh, video uh, that you can take a look at. It's called Cosmic Conflict. I think it's free on YouTube now. Everything we produce, pretty soon it's on YouTube. (laughs) So yeah, just type Cosmic Conflict into YouTube and it'll be the one with amazing facts. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil. A rebellion in heaven. A mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation of evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? What if you could know the future? What would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. Alexander the Great becomes king when he's only 18, but he's a military prodigy. 150 years in advance, Cyrus had been named. Rome was violent, they were ruthless, they were determined. The gospel writers see his death as a fulfillment of salvation. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history. Kingdoms in Time. Get your copy today. Available now on DVD, Blu-ray, or USB. For more information, visit kingdomsintime.com. All right, next caller that we have is Wayne listening in Idaho. Wayne, welcome to the program. Thank you. I have a question for you. I was talking with one of my friends, and they were mentioning Habakkuk 2.2, and uh, I'm trying to figure out what these uh, what these stones are that they're supposed to write on. All right, let me go there real quick. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Maybe I can read that while you, you turn to that. It says, Then the Lord answered and said to me, Write the vision, make it plain on tables, that they might be able to run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Yeah, when something was written and etched in stone in the Bible, it represented its enduring nature. And a prophecy of God never fails. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not pass away. Christ compares his word to a rock he that hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who builds on the rock. Ten commandments were etched in stone. So this is a vision, and I think this was a vision, if I'm not mistaken, about uh, the Lord's coming, because it says, wait for it. Though it seems to tarry, it will not tarry. It will surely come, and the just will live by faith. At least I've heard it applied that way a couple of times. I don't know if that helps a little bit, but this is a prophecy of Habakkuk that was talking about the return of the Lord. Okay, so, okay, thank you. All right, hey, thank you very much. Appreciate your call and your question. Next call of the wave is uh, Niles listening in uh, Georgetown, Ghana. Uh, Niles, welcome to the program. Thank you. 
And it's George Tungayana, not Ghana. Oh, okay. Thank you for calling. South America. Uh, my question is, on what does the Bible say about untimely death? When someone dies, is that their time reaches or what? Could you explain that for me? Niles, that's a good question. You know, I think that we've got to be careful. Sometimes some religions teach that whenever someone dies, it was God's will. You know, my Muslim friends will say, well, it must have been the will of Allah. Not everything that happens in the world today is God's will. The reason Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, thy will be done, is because there is a battle in the world between the free will that God has given every human and the perfect will of God. People many times do things that is not the will of God. Sometimes, I think Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, time and chance happens to all. You know, there are good people in the Bible that were obeying God and they got sick and died, like the prophet Enoch, or like the soldier Jonathan was a, a faithful servant of God, but he died in battle. I mean, sometimes people think if you're serving God, then nothing will ever go wrong and you won't die prematurely. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible says there's, there's evil in the world. Innocent people suffer at the hands of the wicked and the wicked will be judged for that. There's disease in the world because of the devil. Uh, Christ actually healed a lady and he says, Satan has bound this lady for 18 years. She had been afflicted by this illness that comes from the devil. Sometimes people do die prematurely. In, we, people need to know that you know the Lord, he comforts and he empathizes and God is not willing that any should perish. He certainly understands that there is, there's evil and heartache in the world. The verse you're referring to there is Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. Yeah. God can work all things together for good, but sometimes the, you know, the devil will cause problems. Look at, we just talked about Job. The devil killed his family. That wasn't God's will. I mean, the, the devil just, uh, he's wicked. Hey, thank you, Niles. I, I hope that helps a little. You would also enjoy that free lesson on Did God Create a Devil? Talks about the suffering in the world and why it happens. Next call of the brave is Tish listening in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, Tish, welcome to the program. Hi there. Thank you for having me on the show. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Even the last question that was asked and answered, it, it falls into my, um, I guess, my confusion. I'm having, I'm really struggling. The more that I learn and the higher my level of spiritual development grows, I'm just really not clear on predestination and, like, what's allowed to happen and what I should be praying for or just letting or, or just, I don't know what God <laughs> what I'm going, what's going to happen to me and what's not. I, I guess, does that make sense? Uh, well, I think it does because you're, you're asking a question that is connected with um, a lot of people who are wondering, what does predestination mean? In other words, has God already decided who's going to be saved and you don't really have a choice? You're just going to watch it play out, find out in eternity? Or does the Lord want everyone to be saved and you have a free choice to choose God? The, even among Christians, one of the most hotly debated subjects is the subject of free will and predestination. Pastor Ross and I are from the old school that believes that uh, God is not willing that anyone perish. God did not preordain that only certain people should be saved. He wants everyone to be saved. 
you can read, of course, that's Second Peter chapter 3. He's not willing that any should perish. And then you can read in, you know, John three sixteen, whosoever believes in him. Uh, Revelation ends in chapter 22 of the book by saying, whosoever would like to take the water of life, come and drink freely. Some of predestination makes it sound like God has, he's only chosen certain people that are going to, uh, you know, hear his spirit and respond. But I think God sends his spirit and his providence into every life, not willing that any should perish, but desiring all men to come to repentance. You should be praying that, you know, you'll be knowing God's will and surrendering to his will. Is that making sense? It's helping me. It's a, it's going to be a process. I see that. And, and I, I'm willing to, to work through the process. You know, we've got a great book, Tish, that talks about the subject of predestination. And we'd love to send you a free copy. It's called Can a Save Man Choose to be Lost? And it deals with that very subject. And if you just call the number, our resource number, it's 800-835-6747. And as for the book, Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? We'll be happy to send this to you, Tish, or anyone wanting to learn more about the subject of uh, what is predestination? What does the Bible teach? Next caller that we have is Kevin, listening in uh, Orlando, Florida. Kevin, welcome to the program. Yes, good evening. Evening, Kevin. Uh, my question, My question is, Okay, if someone is married and the individual commits adultery and God is the only one that sees it, but although the individual has evidence, what what does the Bible say about confession when it comes to that scenario? Do you confess to your spouse or to God? Well, of course, you would always confess a sin to God, but, you know, that's... Let me say, if you don't mind, Kevin, I'm going to try and state your question a different way. A businessman goes on a trip. He's got wife and kids. They've been happily married for 10 years. And while he's on the business trip, in a moment of weakness, this strange opportunity arises, and he commits adultery. He's terribly ashamed. He's never going to see this person again. He's in another country. He comes home, and he's thinking, you know, he's asked God to forgive him. Do I, do I tell my wife? It's going to break her heart. She might divorce me. If I don't tell her, we can, you know, just keep our happy marriage What do you do in a situation like that? Well, I'm of the opinion that uh, you're always going to have your conscience haunt you. And uh, in a situation like that, you would probably want to sit your spouse down and say, you know, I've got to tell you something. I love you. And the only reason I'm telling you is because I want to have absolute trust in a relationship. And I've made a terrible mistake. And I think that you need to come clean. Otherwise, you've got like a secret You'll always pretend that you're faithful, but you weren't. And I think that in order for there to be healing in your own life, that's one of those cases where you would want to confess. Now, if you've been out gossiping about your friends and you're convicted, you don't have to go tell all your friends, you know, I was gossiping about you. That won't help anybody. But when there's a vow and a covenant between you and your spouse and that's been violated, I think to maintain trust, you you need to be open about that. Anyway, I hope we answered your question, Kevin. We're going to come back in just a few minutes. Don't go away, friends. We see you waiting, Carol, Daryl, Greg, Tom. We're coming back with more Bible questions. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. What if you could know the future? 
What would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. Alexander the Great becomes king when he's only 18, but he's a military prodigy. 150 years in advance, Cyrus had been named. Rome was violent, they were ruthless, they were determined. The gospel writers see his death as a fulfillment of salvation. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history, Kingdoms in Time. Get your copy today. Available now on DVD, Blu-ray, or USB. For more information, visit kingdomsintime.com. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends. This is Bible Answers Live. It is a live, international, interactive Bible study, and you're invited to call in. Even just tonight, Pastor Ross, we've had the calls from Guyana and Ghana. (laughs) Easy to confuse, but they are very different places. We get calls from all over the world. You can call in with your Bible question, 800-463-7297. Do have a few people waiting in line. We've got Carol listening in Fresno. Carol, welcome to the program. Hi, it's Carla. Carla. Carla, sorry, yes. I have, it's like a two-part question. Um, so in 2 Timothy 1.7, um, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of strong mind. And then James 1.6, where it says, But let him ask in faith, not wavering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, okay, so I have a question. For an individual who suffers from, like, generalized anxiety disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and they have fear quite often, and I know that that fear does not come from above. Um, it comes from the enemy. So does that mean, though, that the Holy Spirit isn't with them or God's Spirit's not with them because they have this 
PTSD. This anxiety, they struggle with fear. Correct. And worry. You know, that's a great question. I just finished a book. It's, it's not printed yet. It's in the process of the editorial process, and it's called How to Live in, fear, How to Live in Peace When You're Scared to Death. A lot of people struggle with worry. I think I misquoted the title. How to Live in Peace When You're Worried to Death. That's it. Yeah. A lot of people struggle with worry. And folks, I have people all the time say, does this mean that I have no faith, that I'm lost because I worry? You know, even in the Bible, there's Psalms that say, when my heart is anxious, I will turn to thee. Well, before he could turn to God, his heart was anxious. That's written by David. And so, uh, you know, there's a number of people of faith in the Bible that stress Elijah, great man of faith. He got a little worried when Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And he ran for his life. Jonah was worried. Uh, he was a prophet of God. Because we go through episodes of worry doesn't mean that God is not working in our life. Everybody has varying degrees of concern for either real problems or imagined problems. You don't want your life to be controlled by imaginary problems. You know, it just robs, it robs today of its joy and casts a shadow on tomorrow. Jesus does offer a peace that passes understanding. And when we are really basking in the Holy Spirit and when we're baptized in the Spirit, I believe it brings a peace into the life. You just know God loves you. You know God is on the throne. You know God is not worried. And that he is going to watch out for you as you trust your life to him. Doesn't mean he doesn't want us to think or use our heads or plan. But he doesn't want us to be living constantly in fear. So don't beat up on yourself, Carla, if sometimes you are concerned or afraid. But at the same time, Look for, seek after, pursue that peace. Jesus, whenever he met the apostles, he said, where's your faith? Have more peace. Peace unto you. He's always saying, peace unto you. And he calmed the storm, you see. He can calm your heart. All right. Well, thank you for your call, uh, Carla. Next caller that we have is Tom listening in uh, Oklahoma. Tom, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? <laughs> doing good. Thanks for calling. And your question. First of all, I want to say uh, I really love the way y'all are, are uh, working for the Lord. It's it's really fantastic. Well, thank you. We sure enjoy what we do, and it's a privilege to do it. Uh, my question is Isaiah sixty six seventeen and the coronavirus. How does this fit in prophecy prior to Jesus' return? All right. Well, let me read that verse for those who are looking. Do you have it uh, already there, Pastor Ross? I do. Yep. We're looking at Isaiah 66, verse 17. It says, those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. So here it describes people that are worshiping idols and they're eating swine's flesh in Isaiah and the mouse. Question is wondering, is the coronavirus connected with that. Is that what you're wanting to know, Tom? Yeah, Doug, sure do. Uh, well, you know, I don't think specifically because a person might pick up the coronavirus that didn't pray to idols and uh, eat swine. They, they're getting it from humans. I, I do think that uh, the Bible is setting down an example for us that it's it's better for us to avoid. Now, you're, of course, I'm biased. I'm a vegetarian. So I think it's humans are a lot better off if we're not... Uh, mass breeding animals to slaughter and eat them. But, you know, we do have a verse in scripture that talks about the end of time, Matthew 24. Jesus said, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. Plagues. 
So there are going to be these these plagues, these diseases that uh, sort of sweep across the world, and it looks like we're kind of hitting into something new here with this this virus. Yeah, I watched a um, a study, a presentation that was given by a doctor last night on the subject, and it's probably being underreported. You know, whether it'll be a pandemic in North America, um, you know, we certainly hope not. But I think they're taking all human precautions to avoid that. Uh, but I think it is going to be more common. Many people don't know that there was a flu in 1918 that killed more people than World War I. Up to 50 million people died from that 1918 Spanish flu, they called it. Anyway, yeah, so one of the signs, Jesus said, plagues in the last days. Pestilence. Hope that helps, Tom. Thank you so much for your call. You'll enjoy the new magazine we're offering tonight called Kingdoms in Time, 40 Prophecies That Prove the Bible's True. Beautifully illustrated magazine. If you'd like to receive that, the number to call is 800-835-6747. Ask for the magazine called Kingdoms in Time. Carol is listening from New York. Carol, welcome to the program. Good evening. How are you? We're blessed. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, My question is, um, in Hebrews 13, verse 2, uh, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Uh, uh, can you explain this text? Is it that we're living, is angels living on earth? Yes, I believe angels are living on earth. Uh, several things that he talks about in Hebrews, the writer, we believe it's Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews, he rehearses events in the Old Testament. If you read in chapter 11, he talks about through faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. Well, that's Daniel the lions then. Through faith, they quenched the violence of the fire. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Uh, it says they were sawn asunder. That's talking about Isaiah. Well, here he's saying, don't forget to entertain strangers. Some have unwittingly entertained angels. Well, when Lot first invited the angels into his house, he thought they were men. Eventually, he saw they were angels. There are other examples in the Bible where... Well, Abraham at first saw people walking and thinking that they were just yeah, individuals travelers. that were in need of some food. He he ministered to them. He provided food for them. Well, little did he realize, yeah, they were angels, but it was also the angel of the Lord, which is Christ. Yeah, so I, I'm thinking my mind is a little blank right now, but I think there's another example where someone invited uh, angels in. He, he, he's saying, don't neglect the gift of hospitality. You know, Jesus said, in as much as you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. And we might be surprised in the kingdom to know that we gave, gave a ride to a hitchhiker that turned out to be an angel. They often bless in their, in their path, too. Hope that helps a little, Carol. Yeah, it kind of it helps. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your question. Next caller that we have uh, is calling from Florida. We've got uh, Daryl. Daryl, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Doug and Pastor John. Yes. You know, uh, sometimes I hear pastors uh, say things like, uh, you know, as long as you have faith and right standing with God uh, and you're in his will, that he'll deliver you in times of trouble. And I kind of cringe when I hear that because I know that sometimes he does, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, but then sometimes, you know, he chooses not to, like Isaiah when he was sawed in half, or John the Baptist when he was beheaded, or the says in Revelation, the souls under the altar that 
that, you know, were beheaded. Uh, were martyred for Christ, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think uh, my question is, uh, what is the right approach when, you know, like uh, a baby Christian is, is asking you, well, you know, will, will God deliver me? Uh, you know, what if this and that happens and they're, you know, scared about, you know, uh, persecution or whatever? I mean, what do you think is a balanced approach? Because you can't just tell them, okay, well, God will definitely deliver you because sometimes he chooses not to. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. You can see several cases in the Bible, as you've named, where faithful people have struggled and been persecuted. You know, Jezebel, God delivered Elijah, but she killed a whole lot of prophets before that, too. And it says, you know, Isaiah, Elijah rather said to God, they've slain your prophets. And look what they did to Jesus. And of the 12 apostles, only the apostle John died of old age. Now, there were many times God did miraculously deliver the apostles before they finally got them. You know, Paul was stoned and then he got up and walked away. But he later was executed by Nero. You know, Peter was broken out of prison before his execution. So God delivered them several times and finally said, okay, I'm going to let you go to sleep for me now. And I think that the, the key is you just say, you just ask for God's protection. You ask for his deliverance. I had a close call today and I know God was taking care of me and I thanked him for it. But, you know, we shouldn't tempt the Lord and jump off the temple. Right. And I think we should ask him to have, uh, you know, be faithful unto death so that we can receive a crown of life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for a believer, if you die saved, all of your problems are over. You know, I know that sounds simplistic, but it's really true. A Christian should live in faith. You worry about family and friends you may leave behind. But, you know, if we're being faithful, uh, it's like the, um, the evangelist Whitfield used to say, I'm immortal until my work is done. He figured whenever God wants me, I'm his. And there was a great missionary named Patton that went to... Um, the New Herbides, and uh, I think it was where Fiji is now, and and they said, don't go, the cannibals will eat you. And he said, I'm not worried about that. He said, if I die here, I'll be eaten by worms. If I'm eaten by cannibals, how, how I get eaten doesn't matter. It's up to God. <laughs> he just had a real, he said, I'm going to go serve the Lord. What happens, happens. So it's a good attitude. And God did deliver him, by the way. He died of old age. Thank you so much. Good question, Daryl. Next caller that we have, Greg is listening in Minnesota. Greg, welcome to the program. This is Greg, but I'm in Pickney, Michigan. Can you move to Minnesota for this call? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Greg from Michigan. <laughs> okay. Uh, my question is uh, about uh, the verse in Matthew where Jesus says that if the enemy strikes us on one cheek, that we should turn the other cheek. And the reason it's of uh, special interest is because somebody has suggested that at that time, that there was some significance to the use of striking somebody with one hand versus the other, and that the verse doesn't suggest that we should just give ourselves up to our enemies, but there's some other significance to it based to the culture and the reasoning of striking with one hand versus the other. You know, I vaguely remember hearing uh, somebody go a little deeper into that. I don't remember the details there may have been a custom. I think the principle is the same, that sometimes the, the, the Jews were at this time occupied by the Romans. And sometimes the Roman soldiers were a little bit rough on them. They'd say, you need to carry my gear. 
And so Jesus said, look, if they compel you to carry their, their supplies for a mile, shock them and say, no, let me carry it for two. If they strike you on one cheek, offer them the other. And I think that he's saying this to a people that were being oppressed by the Romans, that they shouldn't hate their enemies, but love them and not retaliate. Now, there may have been another custom among the Jews that uh, I, I've heard about, but I think the principle is always true that in our interpersonal relationships, we can choose to embrace abuse and not retaliate because sometimes you can overcome evil with good. And when people say, realize that you're not going to fight them. Uh, I heard about this guy in the British Army in India. And he used to be the toughest man in the ranks. He was a boxer. And he became a Christian. And every his fellow soldiers, he wouldn't go drink with them anymore. He wouldn't engage in dirty jokes. And they just were a little convicted. And so one guy had been inebriated. He went up and uh, he punched this new Christian who was very strong. And he wouldn't retaliate and he just he stood there he said you know i'm here if you want to hit me for the lord and it broke the other guy's heart he said i didn't expect you to respond that way <laughs> so you you fight evil with good you don't fight evil with evil now it's not saying that policemen should just let robbers rob banks you know you rob this bank we'll give you another one it's not talking about how governments deal it's talking about in our interpersonal relationships it doesn't mean you stand by and let someone hit your wife it's not what it's saying. But in our personal relationships, uh, sometimes he said, if someone's going to sue you and say, I want your shirt, say, look, I'll give you my coat too. And I think part of the idea of being slapped on the face by somebody was, was an insult. And they were expecting you to retaliate in some way or another. Of course, in the old English society, to be slapped on the face or to be hit with the glove or something meant that they wanted to have a duel and <laughs> you know, they wanted you to fight. But uh, Jesus said, you know, don't, don't take vengeance on the wicked. Let let God deal with that. You be faithful. Be a good witness. Yeah, we have a we lost a vice president in a duel here in America for that. Hey, thanks, Greg. I hope that helps a little bit. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Do you feel as though your world is spiraling out of control? Or perhaps new life challenges are frightening you more than they should? Are you sinking while you're thinking? Excessive worry can consume you eating you from the inside out, resulting in sickness, insomnia, and paralyzing fear. It can also damage relationships, ruin opportunities, and yes, diminish your witness for the gospel. Worry affects everybody differently, but it's all driven by fear. So how can you overcome a world full of reasons to be anxious? I'd like to recommend for you my new book, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. You'll discover a lifeline to victory, a place where you can cast your cares upon Christ and experience a serenity that isn't subject to your circumstances. Get your copy of Pastor Doug's Finding Peace in a World of Worry today. Call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues 
And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. All right, Pastor Doug, uh, you can see who our next call is. I think it's Mark, right? Mark? Yeah. Calling from? Uh, Claire, Michigan. You there, Mark? Hello. Hi. Hi. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. See, I had a question. I was reading Deuteronomy chapter 9 and um, 10, and I it recounts how Moses went up to the mountain and got the commandments, but he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasted. Then later on, though, on in verse 18, it says, um, because Israel corrupted themselves, he broke the, the uh, tables of stone, and then he fasted again for 40 days so that the Lord wouldn't destroy them. And I kept reading, and I think in chapter 25, there was another 40 days and 40 nights. And I kept reading again in chapter 10, and I think in verse 10 it says there was another 40 days and nights. Did he actually fast four times for 40 days and 40 nights? Or am I reading that wrong? Well, let me, let's read it together here in Deuteronomy chapter 9, and I'm going to go to verse 18. After he cast the Ten Commandments out of his hand, I fell down before the Lord at the first uh, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly. It sounds like you fasted again. Wow. Uh, for 40 days and 40 nights because of their sin. See, when he's first up on the mountain getting the law, he's fasting. He's in the presence of God. He's not even hungry. It's like when Elijah ate that angel food, he went 40 days without eating because he was so nourished by the power of God. But now I think Moses is actually fasting. But the Lord listened to me. Yes, yeah, so he did fast again another 40 days in, and he was mediating, he was interceding for the people. When he goes back up the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments, I don't think it says, let me see here, uh, 40 days I kept prostrating myself before the Lord. I think it's talking about the same time in verse 27. So it's telling us that he fasted another 40 days and 40 nights in repentance for the sin of the people. That's the same one you read about earlier, if I'm not mistaken. I've been mistaken before, but I think I think you're right that he did fast again after he got the Ten Commandments, repenting for the people and interceding for the people. But when he went back up the mountain and got the Ten Commandments again, I don't think he spent another 40 days up there because part of the original 40 days was getting the plans for the sanctuary and everything. He already had that. God didn't need another 40 days to write the Ten Commandments. But what's your, I'm looking at Pastor Ross to see if I've got it right. You know, I think you're right, Pastor Doug. I, I don't have the verse in front of me, but typically we, you understand that it was a 40-day without eating and drinking in the presence of God. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that was a, a type of what Christ would do when he came on the earth. He didn't he fasted for 40 days. He did drink water, though, but he fasted for 40 days from food. Yeah, so I don't think when he went back up with the two tables for God to re-inscribe the law that he was there another 40 days. I'm looking. I don't see that. You know, there's one other quick thought on that. Uh, the Bible talks of Moses and Elijah as being a type of the law and uh, the prophets. So you have Moses fasting for 40 days. You have Elijah who went in the strength of that food for 40 days. And then you have Jesus. And, of course, you have Moses and Elijah that appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
There are the three individuals that fasted 40 days in the Bible. Very good. Hey, thank you, Mark. You know, we do have um, a lesson that talks about the law of God called Written in Stone. We'll be happy to send you a free copy. The number to call if you'd like to receive that is 800-835-6747. You can just ask for the study guide called Written in Stone. We'll send it to anyone who calls and asks. We've got Cliff listening in Florida. Cliff, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. I'd like to uh, see if you knew what three, John 3.13 means. All right. We're going to go there right now. And maybe Pastor Russ, you want to read that? The Gospel of John, not the uh, first letter. John 3.13. Yes. It says, No one has ascended up to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Yeah. That doesn't mean when it says no one has ascended to heaven. I don't think that Jesus is saying Elijah did not ascend, Enoch did not ascend, Moses did not ascend, because the Bible says that they did ascend to heaven. I think Christ is saying no man has gone up to heaven and come back down to tell us and reveal the plan of salvation and who the Father is except me, the, you know, the Son of God. Jesus is really talking about that he is the one who's been sent from the Father. You know, I think the key to understand verse 13, he's looking at verse 12. Uh, Jesus is talking about heavenly things. He said, if I told you earthly things you do not know or do not believe, how will you understand if I tell you heavenly things? Then he says, no one has ascended up to heaven, meaning to receive these heavenly things, but he has come down from heaven. So that kind of gives a little bit of the context, because we do know from Scripture that there have been other individuals that have ascended up to heaven, like uh, Enoch and um, Elijah. And, of course, Moses was resurrected. But they didn't come back down again until after Christ. So Jesus is the only man that came down from heaven bringing truth from God. Does that make sense, Cliff? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you so much for your call. Next caller that we have is uh, Rosemary listening in uh, Clovis, California. Rosemary, welcome to the program. Yeah, well, we got about two minutes. So your question tonight. Yes, I was reading in Exodus four twenty four through twenty six, um, when God when it says that, and he he came to pass by the way of the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Was God trying to kill Moses? I'm not understanding that. That's well, that's good. You know, it also talks about not just Moses, but at one time it says the angel stood against Balaam, and he was going to slay him. And the angel was opposed to David when he numbered Israel. God does not miss. It's not like God ever fires at someone and says, oh, you know, I was off a little bit. I missed. Or God does not swing a sword at someone and say, I missed. Uh, when it says the Lord was going to slay him, it simply means that Moses was facing judgment. Now, the background real quick. Moses, while he was in the wilderness for 40 years, with uh, he married Zipporah. He had two children with Zipporah. He knew God was going to use him to do a great work in leading the people out of Egypt. He had not even circumcised his own son. And, and that was a very important covenant for every Hebrew man. Moses is on his way back to Egypt. Evidently, Zipporah didn't want to do that. She said, that's kind of barbaric custom. Uh, I'm guessing she, they had some disagreement because finally, when God says, Moses, you're the man of the family, you're supposed to lead by example and tell your wife that uh, the boy needs to be circumcised. Zipporah does it, and she says, okay, you know, you're a bloody man. This is, this is, this is a, a barbaric practice. And, but he obeyed what God told him to do. And at that point, I think that his wife was sent back home. He went on with just Aaron to meet with the elders. But it means that he was under the judgment of God because he was 
disobeying God. God had been convicting Moses they'd take care of this, and he didn't do it. Thank you, Rosemary. You know, we're out of time for new questions tonight, and so Bob, Carol, Raj, if we don't get to you tonight, I hope you'll give us another chance. For our listening friends, we hope that you'll visit Amazing Facts, the website. It's amazingfacts.org, just amazingfacts.org. You can visit our YouTube page and listen to sermons, study our material, download our books. We're just trying to get the truth out because Jesus is coming again and the truth will set you free. God bless till we study next week. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Does your heart burn for a better purpose? Do you yearn to do more with your faith? Do you desire to be a powerful witness, a blaze for Jesus Christ? Where do you start? Make your first step at AFCO, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. Here at AFCO, I've learned so many things, and my spiritual growth has just skyrocketed. AFCO has distilled 50 years of Amazing Facts evangelistic expertise into a dynamic, professional, and educational experience that transforms the nervous Christian into a prepared and bold witness. AFCO is really about learning while doing. It's a one-of-a-kind experience for those who are serious about entering gospel ministry and those who simply want to make an impact in their local churches and communities. Go to AFCO.org today and explore this life-changing program. AFCO, equipping soul winners, setting the world ablaze for God. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at AFTV.org. At AFTV.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit AFTV.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit AFBookstore.com. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org.